Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. Okay, well, here we are at the end of 2018. And again, we would all say different things about the year. But we are exiting one year, and we are entering another. And so what I'm going to do for the next two weeks is I'm going to preach two sermons off of one passage of Scripture. Um, Actually, two sermons based on one story. And it's kind of interesting because the passage I'm going to share with you is very familiar. And sometimes when you're preparing for a sermon, you kind of feel like, well, Lord, you know, I feel drawn to this, but, you know, everyone knows the story so well. So I was kind of like, maybe, maybe, Lord. But the more I prayed about it, the more I thought about it, the more I looked back and looked forward, it began to really feel like this was a message for the body, a very timely message for KPC. And then... I listened to two podcasts of two uh, preachers that I enjoy, and both of them were talking about the same passage that I'm going to preach on, and I went, okay, Lord, it got through my thick skull. I'm going to preach this today. So without any further preamble or ado, let me share with you this week the story of a lost son and his father, which will lead us into next week, which is a story about a lost son and his father. And some of you are thinking, dude, you just said the same thing twice, and I absolutely did. The passage, as you probably guessed, is Luke 15, and the story that that we're going to go through today, it's the second half of the chapter, Um, but it it opens up with the Pharisees. Now, typically, when the Pharisees start off a passage, you can pretty much start booing and hissing, get ready for something negative, and we find that in Luke 15. The Pharisees, at the opening of this chapter, they are offended with Jesus. Now, offended, if you don't know what the word means, it means they're indignant, they're angry. As my British mother would say, they're put out with Jesus. And and here, they're specifically upset with Jesus because he associates with sinners, all right? Jesus associates with sinners. Now, more specifically, Jesus welcomes sinners, Jesus talks to sinners. He even sits down and he eats meals with these people. So here they are, and they are muttering to one another, how in the world can he be the son of God and hang out with people like that? You may wonder, where did the Pharisees get this from? The Pharisees are coming from Habakkuk 1.13, which says this. It says, God, your eyes are too pure to look on, on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So what they've done is they've taken Habakkuk 1.13, and they view this as the iron gate that shuts them in with God and shuts all the sinners on the outside. And and that's why you see what you see with the Pharisees in the New Testament. They really have built a religious empire which is for them and for God. And I know it's sick. And I know it's twisted. I mean, I I can't see you because of the spotlight, but I can feel your cringe from up here. And what makes it even more cringeworthy is they've only taken part of of Habakkuk 1.13. Listen to the whole verse, okay? Listen to the irony here. The whole verse reads this way. Oh God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate and do you look upon the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? So, So if you take the verse in its entirety... 
Habakkuk is complaining to God about being a little too liberal when it comes to sinners, about being too tolerant of them. You know, God in his mercy for, for kind of associating and welcoming and making space for these folks on the earth. And so you see, it really is twisted for the Pharisees to then turn around and build this us-only theology based on half of a verse that even in context is not even what the verse is all about. So Luke 15 is about Jesus straightening the Pharisees out, okay? He is speaking to this warped mindset that they have, and what he's going to do here in Luke 15 is he is going to explain God's heart for sinful people, God's love for people who have wandered away and have just gotten lost, you know, God's heart for people who are separated, they're on the, on the outside looking in spiritually, and as, he, as he's explaining this about God, Jesus is also speaking back to their muttering, saying, you want to know why I associate fellowship and hang out with these folks? Well, here it is. And so Jesus tells three stories in Luke 15. The first one is about lost sheep. The second one is about a lost coin. And the third one is about our subject today, a lost son. Here we go. Half the story today, second half next week. Luke 15, 11 through 32. There was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of the state. So the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country and squandered his wealth in wild living. And you are free to just, you know, define wild any way you want to because he pretty much did it all. Uh, kids are in the room, so we'll leave it there. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So the young man went, and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him out to the field to feed his pigs. The young man longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I'll go out, go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So the young man got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers, uh, his fingers, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Oh God, we just thank you. Compassion and love just drip off this story. And Father, we just love who you are. We just go ahead and make the connection right now that you are the Father in the story. And God, what a privilege it is to just be called by you, to have you waiting for us, longing for us, 
God, drawing us back into your heart. And, and Father, by the end of this sermon, God, we want to be there. In every respect, we want to be right back with you in that celebration of love and, and, and God be, being reclaimed and found in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, so Jesus here is, um, is pretty much telling the religious that God is not itching to destroy every sinner, that God's not up in heaven with his smite boots on, and he's just ticked off. In other words, what Jesus is telling these religious Pharisees is they have really got God all wrong. They have got church life all wrong. What is God about from the story? God is about salvation. You know, God's about rescue. God is about redemption. And you know, if, if they ever had a brilliant example of it, it's right in front of them in the passage. The man that, the, that, that, that is talking to the Pharisees, Jesus Christ, is the most brilliant example of the heart of God. What do the Gospels tell us about Jesus? It's one story after another story of Jesus reaching out to someone who's lost. Jesus speaking to someone who's broken. Jesus delivering someone who's bound by the devil. Jesus healing someone. Jesus forgiving sinners of their sin. That's Jesus. And so from Jesus comes this story of these two, and yes, there are two, miserably lost children and their fantastic uh, father. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with the hero of the story. Does anybody know who the hero is? The father. Yes, I'm so glad you guys got that right. Absolutely. The father is the hero of the story. Jesus starts there, so, so we'll start there. We have this man who has at least two sons, and one day uh, one, his younger son comes to him with the most famous selfish words of all time. If you have children, you have heard these words before. Hopefully as an adult or a young, adult, a, a, a young adult, you've never uttered these. But what are those famous words? There are only two of them. Starts with a G, the first one. Starts with an M. Uh, after the G is an Emmy. After the M is an E, gimme. The boy starts off with gimme. Gimme my share of your estate. And by the way, this is my share of your estate, my inheritance that I would have gotten when you died. This young man comes to his father and he asks for this. And, and what blew me away, I never thought about this before, but he is ignoring the basic principle of an inheritance, you know? When, when do you get an inheritance? Right, later on after your eyes. What is going on with an inheritance in the meantime? The, the inheritance is today's asset that is feeding the family. It's providing for the family. You know, the, the interest is, is, is being rolled back into the business. This is money that the family needs today. Yes, after dad is gone, cut it in half and take it, but not today. And so the father should say, no. They come like, absolutely not, son. No, you can't have this money. We're using it today. But remarkably, what does the father say? The father says, yes. And the question I have, and I only have a partial answer, the question I think you have is why? Dad, what's going on up here for you to do this? Why would you do this? And the only answer that we can get from context is love. It's just the love of the Father. And I know we could fault the Father here on, on you know, some different aspects, but look, the, the nature of love 
is generosity, isn't it? The nature of love is to give. And you know, love also involves another key ingredient, which is freedom. There's always freedom built into real love. So even though this is not going to go well, you know, we don't even have to finish the story to know this is not going to turn out well. The father out of love agrees. So let's now go to the lost son and admit that this boy has got some problems, okay? Um, He's got some serious problems. Mark talked just a minute ago about the difference between childlike, which is good, and childish, which is not good. This is a very childish young man. I don't know how old he is. Um, We'll just say 21 for the sake of it today, but this is a very childish young man, and he has got some problems. His first problem, which is so obvious, is that he is in the major leagues, okay? He's not a minor league player. He is in the major leagues when it comes to selfishness. I want mine now. I don't care, Dad, if it breaks your heart. I don't care if it makes life tough for the family. I don't care. I want it now. Give me my money. Thank you. Pleasure doing business with you. See ya. And he just abandons everybody. This kid is selfish. Another thing we see, his childishness here, is that he is wasteful and wild. You know, we we don't know all the details of his wild living, but basically here's what happens. This boy takes this money and he just makes it rain on all kind of things that have absolutely no value at all. He just blows through all of this cash. And he ends up like everyone who lives a life like that. He just ends up broke. He ends up destitute. You know, his pockets are absolutely empty. But the tragedy is when all of his money runs out and he's got nothing, he doesn't hit rock bottom yet. He he is not at rock bottom. Rock bottom comes just a second later in the story, but a little time later in the span of his life. Rock bottom comes when the biblical equivalent of the stock market crash happens and famine hits the land. So suddenly there's a scarcity of food, and what that's telling us in, in, in modern day, you know, language and scenario is this kid can't even go and dumpster dive if he wants to because there's no food anywhere. And so he hires himself out to feed pigs. And just stop here with the pigs. This is really not good, okay? This is bad news. Uh, For him, it's bad news for two reasons. Number one, he is Jewish, okay? And pigs for Jews are what? They're, They're unclean, right? But his second problem is he is a human. And for humans... Pigs are unclean. Have you ever, anybody ever lived in the country and smelled a pig farm? We did. Holy cow. You pray with all your might that the wind will shift, you know? Have you ever driven on a country road and you're behind a truck transporting pigs? The smell is unbelievable. This young man, he's at such a destitute place that he wants to fill his stomach with the food that the pigs eat and sweat that stank, right? That's rock bottom for this young man. Finally, after all of this, the Word of God says he came to his senses. 
beautiful line. It's one of my favorite lines in Scripture. He came to his senses. He woke up to reality. My gosh, I am absolutely ruined. I've just thrown away my life, and there's nobody to blame but me. And it's a great moment. Just I don't know if you've ever woken up before. If you've come to Jesus, you've had a wake-up moment. It's wonderful. It's one of the greatest things that ever happens. But let's not make the mistake of, uh, a kind, of kind of turning this into a churchy moment for the young man, okay? Because it's not like this boy oh, saw a vision of Jesus and, oh, yes, I just I fall down, yes. You know, it, it's not like he remembered a Sunday school lesson. Oh, I remember there was a lesson about food and God, Jesus will be the bread of life. No. Somebody doesn't come to him and proclaim uh, Jesus and the Gospels and, you know, the, the Ten Commandments. He, he's not walking by and looks up on a billboard and sees John three sixteen. That is not what made him come to his senses. You know what it was? Hunger. Just hunger. Finally, he is completely empty, and he is ravenously hungry. Hunger makes him desperate, and he wants to go home. He finally realizes. He understands what home is, and he makes his way back. What a fool I've been, this kid is thinking. I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm just going to beg him to take me on like a servant, you know? I'll run back to dad, and I'll just say, hey, dad, I've really blown it. You know, would just put me in the stable and put me to work, and oh, if I could just have a meal. And if you think back to the father that we open this story with, it lets you know this kid does not know his father very well. He does not know his father's heart. Like the guy who was that generous, that kind of love, that kind of freedom, like he's going to see him come and go, oh, up, yeah, all right, okay, come on, uh, okay, back there. back. Now listen, you can talk, but you can talk to the hand. Let the words go around the hand. Oh, sure, you want to come back? Fine, come back. There's a rag, there's a bucket. You can start scrubbing those floors, and i tell you one thing, I better see my face in them when you're done. That's not what is about to happen in this passage, in this young man's life. Speaking of dear old dad, as the boy makes his way back home to his father, we learn a couple more things about the dad. And the, the biggest thing we learn is that this man is absolutely humble. The humility that comes off the father at this moment is unbelievable. Now, I say humility actually for two reasons. The first one is this. Stop and realize what the son has done. Once again, this young man has robbed his family. It's really not a stretch. He's robbed his family. He has spit in his father's face. I don't care if you need the money. Give it to me. He spit in his face. He's packed everything up. He has left, basically walking down the driveway with his father's dollar bills, well, his shekel coins falling out. I mean, this kid's loaded, leading with his father's money. He has abandoned everyone. From the passage, you never get the sense that this kid even ever wrote home to say, hey, you know what, I'm not even going to tell you where I am, but I just want you to know I'm safe. And then he has partied himself into poverty. And then finally, when the boy runs out of money, when he has nowhere else to turn, he comes home. And this father, okay, and I, let, let's, let's understand the father now. This father who has been treated like the last kid on a schoolyard picked for a kickball team. Okay, Dad, there's no one left, so I choose you. 
oh my gosh, if that would have been most parents. I mean, you don't have to put yourself in that. You, you can if you want. But I'm telling you, even most good parents in that scenario with this kid on his way back, there would not be a doghouse dark enough, dingy enough, and small enough to shove this kid into for three to four to five to six months until he, we really make sure he got the lesson. If we ever take him back, there wouldn't be enough black paint on planet earth to paint him as, as the black sheep that he is for the end of time. But what is this father doing? This father is pacing the driveway every day. He is watching for this lost son every day. And when the boy comes into view, this dad rises above the pain of his own rejection from this son. This father rises against you know, just all those conflicting feelings and, and just all this, this, this angst that he feels. And he welcomes his son home like a prince. While the son, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him, saying to his servants, quick, put the best robe you can find on him. Put, put slippers on his feet. Put a ring on his finger. Why? And by the way, why a ring on his finger? Because this boy is coming in here feeling like trash. So take a piece of treasure, put it on him. Let's show him how valued he is. And we say, but still, why? Why this, Papa? Why not anger? Because the father cares more about the welfare of his own son than he does his own. And that, my friends, that is humility. And that is the heart of God if you don't know it. The father's also joyful. I I see joy in, in him all the way through the story, but he's obviously very joyful when his son comes home. Why? Because every prayer has been answered. The desire of his heart is walking up the driveway in flesh and blood. Um, The only thing that matters in his life has just happened. And here he is. The father is overjoyed because his son was dead on the inside. He's coming back home and there's a spark. There's a hunger There's a wanting to be. His son is waking up on the inside. His son might have been really dead for all he knew, and he's obviously alive, but his son was lost, and he's been found. And for the dad, that just makes this party time. It makes it party time. Quick, everyone, servants, go get the biggest cow you can find, the one that we've been saving for whatever day. This is that day. We are gonna celebrate. Slaughter it. Cook it up. Ribs, steaks for everybody. It's party time. And by the way, here's an interesting side note about Luke 15. Every story about lost things that are found ends in a party. They all end in celebration. Verse 6, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Verse 9, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. Here, 23 and 24, get the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. And what this half of this story tells us is this, that in the end, we discover, we find out that finding lost sons and daughters, getting the wayward, the prodigals back home, this is the priority of God's heart. And we are going to see it all over again next week 
with a second son um, who perhaps is even more lost than the first son. All right? So here we go. For us, there is a dump load, uh, dump truck load, I should say, of treasure for us from Luke 15, uh, 11 through 24. Um, and first we get some treasure from the lost son. When it comes to this lost son, and I want all of you to hear this, okay? Because I had to hear this again. When it comes to the lost son, he is absolutely no different from any one of us before Jesus Christ. It's a good thing for the church to remember. With all those people out there, we were them before we met Jesus Christ. You know, every one of us was just as me first in our own special way. And I think we all had our own special way of selfishness, but he was us. I know for most of us here, our rock bottom, our our wake-up moment coming to our senses, it it also wasn't a real beautiful moment of brilliant piety. It, It was hunger that drove us to Jesus Christ. And I think it's really good when you've been in the church for a long time and you're used to the language and, you know, the flow of services and what ministry looks like and all of that. I think it's really good for us to remember that we didn't save ourselves. We were lost. Jesus Christ found us. And um, we are who we are only because of his work. I mean, we are this kid. When it comes to the Father, we in the church need to be like chips off the old block when it comes to, to, to the world we live in. You know, God is our spiritual Father. We are his children. And the bottom line here is that, look, if reaching out to the lost, if loving them into the kingdom, if their salvation is on the heart of God, if that's what Jesus is all about, if if Jesus who is God is all about that, we in the church need to be about it. If love, generosity, humility, joy describe the Father, that ought to describe the church. You know, listen, for, for a sinner... For a lost person, church ought to be the warmest, sweetest, happiest place you ever enter. You know? I remember when, when I was lost and I was quite lost, I, I mean quite, quite lost, man, I'd go into some churches and I'd just, oh my gosh, I felt like a, a, a fly in a glass of milk, you know, just, ah. But church ought to be the sweetest place they ever enter. Church should be a place where as someone lost, you find humble, forgiving people who remember that they used to be just like you. Church ought to be, it ought to feel like the prodigal son's house. You walk in the door and people just see and go, come on in here, come on, we've been waiting for you. You dirty, confused, lost, but we've been waiting for you. Man, we love you. We've been praying for you. Everybody, look who's here. It's party time in the church. It really should be that. Church should never be a place where you run into the God can't look on sin mindset, you know. And sometimes this happens in churches, not this one. But I've been in churches before where there's even a feeling for those that are in church that if we are too nice to sinners, we're being liberal, you know. Folks, if loving sinners is liberal, Jesus Christ is a flaming liberal. Oh, my goodness. You know, liberal is this. Liberal is when you start tinkering around with this. It's when you start cutting away the word of God, when you start twisting it. That's liberal. 
You know, last week I, I said this. Some of you were here. Um, I know you heard it because I've, I've heard some chatter about it. I said last week that we are going to be making substantive changes to KPC in 2019. We are going to be making substantive changes to the church. I also said that uh, some of these changes were things that we should have done a long time ago. Um, but, but before we get into all of that, which is not this week, it's down the line, and it'll probably be throughout the year as we discover what some of it is. But before w- w- you find out what it is, I want you to understand why we're going to be making changes as a church. It is simply this, because in too many churches and at times at KPC, despite our best intentions, we are way too much like Martha. We are about so many different things. And you know, Martha's preparing a meal for Jesus, and that's a good thing, right? We're, we're about so many good things. But in that moment in the passage, Mary's got it. There's one thing that matters. And folks, for the church, the one great thing is the great saving mission of Jesus Christ. We have got to be about the Great Commission. And so we, we this year, we are going to turn outward to reach them, to share Jesus Christ, to see them get saved, and, and also to make disciples out of people. We, we are going to be like Jesus, too, in this way, because sometimes we don't do this well in the church. I, this is one I've got to learn on. I am really good about, you know, um, helping people from a distance, you know? And you're free to do this, by the way, if you want to, okay? Write a check. But this year, we want to get eye-to-eye with people. We want to get eye-to-eye with people who are hungry and are hurting. We are going to go out of our way this year also to become a house of celebration. Man, just a place of joy and testimony. And uh, just, we're, we're going for it. I'm glad four of you are excited about that. Yes! And we're also going to go out of our way to pursue what we see from the Father here, humility, love, forgiveness, restoration, generosity. Amen? Amen. Amen. Good. Okay, good. All right. So listen, here's what we're going to do. Next week, we're going to examine the, uh, the second older brother here. Um, and I said it a minute ago, I think this kid is more lost than the first one. We're going to take a good look at him. Um, And this week, one thing I hinted at in the sermon was I hinted at addition, that there will be things that we will be putting into place in the church that are currently not there. We will be adding. But next week, as we talk about the older brother, I'll go ahead and warn you that we're going to talk a little bit next week about subtraction, getting rid of some things as a church that get in the way of the mission. And if you're a traditional person, don't worry. I'm not talking about getting rid of traditional elements in the service. I'm talking about things that are obstacles to us reaching the world. So having said all that, I'll just say get ready. It's going to be a fun year. 2018, God bless you. See you later. 2019, here we come. Here we come, right? And that is the difference. It's not come on 2019. It's 2019, here we come, right? Let me pray for us, and y'all can go. And I went over a little bit, but that's okay. Hour and a half until football starts, so you'll be fine. Lord, we love you. Jesus, we think you are worth it. You are worth, as Jonathan Helzer says, you are worth wasting our lives on. Lord, you are worth us on the altar as living sacrifices, loving our community, sharing good news. God, you, you are so worth it.
You are so worth it for us to get out of our comfort zones, to love, to give, to feed, to clothe. And so, God, we just say, here we are. And the Lord is a body. We have so many advantages because, God, we are a strong family. Lord, we are a family that we are filled with the spirit of the living God. So we're ready to step into moments where your power can just flow right on through us. Not only your love, but your power. So God, get us ready. I just pray for everyone uh, going out of here that, Lord, they will go out in joy and be led forth with peace, that they would even feel like the mountains and the hills break forth before them because they are the beloved. They are the children of God. We thank you. We love you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great uh, New Year's Eve, right? Have a great week. We love you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.